welcome to Mintcast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. Uh, down here in my basement broadcasting live, I'm Bill. Oh, handing my son his pill. I'm Joe. So is he. Hi, I'm Moss. And I'm Norbert. And uh, we've got a special guest today, folks. This is going to be an awesome episode. We have uh, George Castro on with us. Uh, yes. So we're re- really looking forward to uh, getting into it with him. No, no, this, it, hold, thanks for is, having is, me. Is it Jorge or is it jo- George? I think it's technically Jorge, but I grew up in the States and I always kind of went by George. So okay, whatever, okay. whatever people are comfortable with. Right on. I was thinking in my head, maybe it was Jorge or George or Jorge. Uh, yeah. yeah. People who speak Spanish come up to me and yeah. start talking and I'm like, Jorge, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Do you in fact speak Spanish? Uh, I can understand it. I can order beer and food and like, that's it. Just uh, beer and food. And then just hang out with someone else. I can write in Japanese. And you know, when it's not our turn to talk, we do mute our mics. Got you. So, cerveza, por favor. Uh, yeah. Everybody knows how to order a beer. I know how to order a beer in like nine languages. All right, back to it. This is episode 386. First up in the news, NTF is orphaned. A bare-brained sea alternative, or hair-brained hair hair-brained sea alternative. And security and privacy, Microsoft found it, and Musk open sources. Well, we'll see. Then in our wanderings, George is uh, streaming right along. Joe is destroying... Steaming. Steaming. Steaming right Steaming. I need new glasses, apparently. Uh, Joe is destroying more stuff. Norbert had a little too much Linux. Moss is redoing everything, and Bill is pulling his hair out. More on that later. Uh, in our innards section, we have an interview with George Castro. The keen eye who's watching the video feed will notice the new guy up there at the top right. He is the community manager for Flatpak and former uh, community manager for Cano- uh, Canonical. And finally, the feedback and a couple of suggestions. New NTFS driver already orphaned. This is from Foronix. Back in 2022, Fire System driver provider Paragon Software announced they wanted to upstream their NTFS driver into the Linux kernel. This driver was previously a proprietary commercial offering from a company, but from the company. But given the state of NTFS these days, they wanted to upstream the driver with the full read/write support and other features not found within the existing NTFS driver. Finally, last year, after going through many rounds of review. The driver was merged into Linux 5.15. But sadly, less than one year later, concerns have been raised that the driver is already effectively orphaned and not being maintained. Yeah, the maintainer has not been responding to emails. There is someone willing to pick it up again, and Linus is on his side for doing so, but you still got to get Paragon on board with it. First time I ever heard about Paragon was when years ago I wanted to be able to mount an NTFS hard drive on my Android tablet or Android phone. And they had a paid for solution in the Play Store. And you could play for, I think that was like, there were four or five fire systems, or you could just pay for one. And I just paid for NTFS. And I didn't know they were so influential in the file system driver scene. For NTFS anyway. Uh yeah, I've tried using it. Like, if I'm doing a dual boot thing, I thought maybe it would be best, or a long time ago, I thought it might be best to just have them both use the same 
file system and then I realized how limited it you are with NTFS because of the permissions you can't you can't set up well I mean you got to futz around a lot more setting up separate permissions for subdirectories and all that stuff so it got to be a pain it's almost easier making windows right on that or uh, on ext3 or something like that or butterfs there's a good windows butterfs project out there right now is it, yeah when, when i came when i came into linux uh full bore in 2015 i've been playing with it since 2002 but 2015 i said okay no more no more windows i was still sold on ntfs and i had my external drives all on ntfs but the longer it went along it just got to be less and less easy to implement it, and so I just moved totally away from that. But uh, we were just getting used to getting it back, and now we don't have it supported. So, Well, I still have the majority of my drives on NTFS because of what I do. The most storage demanding uh, stuff is I have to do it on Windows because I use the Adobe Suite. And I was writing my uh, thesis, and I wanted to create a quick, uh, well, quick, I, it took several days, but I wanted to create an illustration of, uh, for one of the chapters. So I booted into Windows, and uh, thankfully I have all uh, everything that I need on a FAT32 drive, but some stuff was still on my EXE4 Linux uh, partition. And then I was in Windows, and I it, it was a bit annoying when I couldn't reach everything that I wanted to. Well, that ButterFS driver for Windows is really good, and you can take advantage of the uh, compression and and all that stuff with that. And then there is an extended three, extended four driver thing. I'm not sure how good the extended four write support is. I think there are multiple ways to get EXE4 support on Windows, but they seem to be hit and miss, because when I tried to get it to work a few around one and a half years ago, I didn't really work the way I wanted to. I, I sometimes wonder if Windows, if Microsoft had it to do over, or if they could felt like they could change from NTFS, if they would, but it would just break all that backwards compatibility that they rely on so so heavily. So, Yeah, um, well, in my dual boot machine, I keep, you know, obviously the Windows section is NTFS, and then I keep half of one of my one terabyte hard drives uh, formatted to NTFS just for storage. But uh, other than that, I really don't need to worry about interacting between the two, so everything else is EXT4. Yeah. But I do have to add that working with files on the NTFS drives doesn't really seem to be painful on Linux, at least for me. You can set permissions, but I don't really have to because I, I'm, I'm the only one using the computer. I mean, the, the, when you run into problems is, is if you've got, you've mounted your NTFS partition and you've got the permission set up in your FSTAB and then you want to, yes, I said FSTAB, <laughs> Moss. Oh, I do, I do say <laughs> FSTAB as well. And uh, you need to create a directory in there that's got different permissions, you know, and NTFS will just, I've never been able to get it to work. What do you mean? Uh, I, I just, I have full read-write permission for my drive that when it, it's mounted. Right, but if, let's right. say you want to set something up with... Uh, you got, you've got your read-write set up for your user, and then you want to set up a directory in there that's only that only the root has, or another user has read-write 
permissions on that. You can't you can't get uh, granular control, or at least I haven't been able to figure out how to do it without. You can't mm-hmm. use the UID to. Well, I mean, you're you're mounting that file system in the fstab, and you're you're uh, declaring the UUID at mount time. And when you try to go and change anything it, uh, for folders within that directory, after the fact, it just ignores it. Yeah. Because I just don't think, I don't think uh, NTFS is set up to have different, like you know, like that you got the the folder that's mounted, and then like a hundred folders inside of that where, that all have different permission structures. I don't, I don't think it can handle that. Well, I know that my external Fast Thirty Two drive. In the FSTAB line for it, I have UID equals 1000 because I couldn't get it to be writable by my user yeah. any other way. Because yeah, I, if, it, if it auto mines into slash media or slash run, I think it's slash media, then it gives my user uh, write privileges. But if I specify it to be on slash MNT slash something, then I have to specify the UID for it. But I then all of the folders this. that you but that you put inside of that will inherit that permission structure yeah. and there's nothing you can do yeah but, yeah, but i because... think it's the same for extension 4 unless you manually go in and, and redo it every time yeah um, i just did the exact same thing i just set it all up except i used discs instead of the fs tab um <clears throat> just because you know i knew i could go into the fs tab and do it that way but i wanted mm-hmm. to use discs and get it set up because i should have been able to do it without setting up the ui uuid but I ended up having to do it uh, because I think if you don't set up the UUID, you have to um, use a CH mod, but then you have to actually restart everything. And I didn't want to restart right then. So I set up the UUID and um, detached and, and reattached. And now that, if you that worked. And then if you you'd have set up another folder in that, it would have just inherited those uh ownership properties and you wouldn't have been able if you would have like for instance if you were in a gui and you opened a file manager and you tried to right click and change the permissions it would all just be white white whited out because you don't have that kind of granular control over it right and the it doesn't really impact me all that much because i am the only user on yeah my system so it's not like yeah, i same. set up my kids on my laptop or something like that it, it, if i did then yeah that would make a difference but for me 99 percent of the time i'm not gonna I notice th- i think i ran i'm sitting here trying to think of the real world example of the problem i ran into uh mostly it was because i was trying to mount stuff in the home directory but make it available to specific system users and i wasn't able to do that it was Whatever, whatever it's mounted with, that's what you're stuck with, uh, and then you have to give those system users certain access. But then once you give give them access, they've got access to everything that has the same properties. That that just sounds like a lot of nonsense. But still, I mean, it's like I said. I mean, even for Windows, I could imagine if Windows, if Microsoft had it to do over, I feel like they would probably go another route. But uh, I don't know. That's just my opinion. Moss, what do you got to say about uh, the C alternative? Well, they're wondering if it's a harebrained idea. Yeah. Uh, software developer Drew Default announced a systems programming language called Hair, describing it as, quote, simple, stable, and robust, quote, 
We've heard this before, right? Hare aims to serve as an alternative to C. DeVault and about 30 project contributors have been working on Hare for about two and a half years. They now let their rabbit loose so developers can run with it. Quote, Hare uses a static type system, manual memory management, and minimal runtime, explained DeVault in a blog post. It is well suited to writing operating systems, system tools, compilers, networking software, and other low-level high-performance tasks. I don't know how newsworthy I consider this, considering how many alternatives for C there are, or how many variants of C that there are. I'd be interested in seeing the uh, layout of it. Yeah. I'm not a developer, so I have nothing to add to this. Uh, yeah, I... Why don't we do security? Yeah, let's do security. Security news, everybody. Microsoft finds Linux desktop flaw that gives root to untrusted users. Well, that's not good now, is it? This is from mm. Ars Technica. Vulnerabilities recently discovered by Microsoft make it easy for people with a toehold on many Linux desktop systems to quickly gain root system rights. The latest elevation of privileges flaw to come to light in the open source OS. Nimbuspun. I apologize ahead of time. Nimbus Pawn. Nimbus Pawn, okay. Uh, as Microsoft has named the EOP threat, is two vulnerabilities that reside in the Network D Dispatcher, a component in many Linux distributions that dispatch network status changes and run various scripts to respond to a new status. When a machine boots, Network D Dispatcher runs as root. The flaws tracked as CVE 2022-29799 and CVE 2022-29800 combine threats including directory transversal, simleak race, and time of check, time of use race condition. Explain all that to us, Moss. Nope. <laughs> Network D Dispatcher. I know that I've got that running on a couple of machines. Uh, Let me check. I mean, I think that's what like tells it to wait for certain things. But uh, yeah, I don't have it on mine. I guess it depends if your system's using Network Manager or Network yeah. D. Network D is a, a big thing on uh, Arch, so I'm going to have to check my laptop upstairs. Still, isn't it fun that Microsoft found that for us? Yeah, I'm still, I'm still thank trying you. to comprehend that. <laughs> well, well, you all of know what a simlink is. We found so many is, flaws right? in Microsoft, so right? <laughs> you know what a simlink is, right? I do. Yeah. Okay. So basically, it's just a pointer within a file system that points to another file system somewhere else, or another right. location in a file system somewhere else. So you're not storing things in two locations, and if it gets updated in the original location, it, it's still the same place. It's just pointing to it. So right. I'm not sure what a Simlink race would be, though. I mean, I understand the whole race condition idea, but how would a Simlink race work? Maybe there's like a set amount of time that uh, a process like can create a temporary Simlink. Okay, so and it would be a, a, another redirect? Something along that lines. 
it has to it has to get it (laughs) yeah uh it would have to like a like a sim link that has to happen before another process comes along and shuts that down i don't know so if it's quick enough it's just changing the location that the sim link points to yeah okay time of check time of use that one i wouldn't even be sure how to explain but i mean yeah thanks microsoft i mean we appreciate the mail we'll get that fixed (laughs) yeah (laughs) go ahead norbert elon musk wants to open source twitter's sorry sorry i start again elon musk wants to open source twitter's algorithms this is from the washington post Social media has become one of our most important sources of news, and what gets seen by whom is greatly dependent on tightly guarded algorithms. After buying Twitter for $44 million, Elon Musk has floated a number of notions in the name of upholding what he describes as fee as free speech ideals, including a promise to make to take a minimalist approach to content restrictions. Musk said he would be very reluctant to delete things and very cautious with permanent ban- bans. Timeouts are better, he says. He's talked about trying to authenticate all real humans to better identify bots, and he has advocated for opening up Twitter's content algorithms. What's not clear in the social media context is how much transparency making an algorithm's code available would add, as seeing the code doesn't tell you how exactly it works in practice when operating in collaboration with the vast amounts of data that power it. Yes, and that's 44 billion. Sorry, did I say million? Down on the page, wrong. Yeah. It oh. was written million. It oh. was written four million, and you know he didn't pay four million for yeah. Twitter. Did I say million or billion? <laughs> you you said million. Oh, I corrected sorry. it after you after you said it. But forty four billion dollars. He just had it laying around. Um, actually, he only had twenty two billion laying around, and had to get some banks to back him on the rest. Yeah, of it. He said that was what twenty percent of his worth, his net worth. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Are we taking it seriously, honestly, that he's going to open source all this? I All I heard is that he said that we should. Well, open sourcing the algorithm, as it says in the article, doesn't really do us any good because it doesn't tell you how it works. You know? I mean, it, it it lends a hand to reverse engineering the whole thing, but I think, I don't know. I saw a tweet earlier today that next he's going to buy Microsoft and open source Windows and office that seems unlikely i'm open sourcing my twitter over to mastodon look elon likes making money (laughs) yeah but um now i was talking to danny on um the linux lugcast and he was saying that the whole reason elon bought um twitter was for the algorithm so that he could use the algorithm to make money but i don't know oh so twitter just came with the algorithm (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> Build it and they will come. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, speaking of Microsoft, I I would still be on the team that's waiting for Microsoft Office to arrive on Linux. But saying that, I I don't think I've used Microsoft Office for almost a year, and I've just stuck with Open Office. Sorry, LibreOffice. Uh, I think the only thing thing that I would really like to see on Linux now is the Adobe Suite. And I did say at one point that if Adobe decided to make their programs available only as a snap that would make me start using snaps i honestly wish and this is going to sound 
judgy or something. I just wish we could just stop giving a crap what Microsoft does with their software and just come up with better open source software. <laughs> you know, I, I think yeah, so, well, kind well, of I, I, as long I, as you know Microsoft still controls what is it eighty percent of the market or some crazy yeah. number like that, then we're always the desktop going to be market. Yeah, yeah, the desktop market. More like 75, but it's still huge. It just feels like as time goes on, we we rely more and more on these these projects that... Isn't isn't Windows uh, losing market share, though? Very slowly, but steadily? Not to us. No, not to us. I mean, maybe to Android or something along that lines, but I don't think Windows is going anywhere. Oh, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. If it's lo- if, you, if it's losing market share, what is it losing market share to? macOS isn't very likely because that's a whole different ecosystem. It, I actually saw some good numbers nation by nation posted somewhere. I posted it on one of our groups somewhere. Uh, don't remember them. That's not the way my brain works. <laughs> they make the they make these things that have paper. And you take a pen and you write down the things that you want to remember. And then you can go back later on and read it. If you can find the paper. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you like killing room. trees, isn't that what notes are This for? tree right here is already dead. This one was dead when I bought it. There you go. You heard it here, folks. All right. Are we ready for the wanderings? I know I am. Jorge, you're, you're up first. You're, that's yeah. how we treat new people. Yeah, we. Yeah, we y'all wrote a bunch of stuff, for, but I, I'm sorry. I don't know yeah. how that happened, but yeah. Uh, uh, I've been but, traveling, so I didn't, yeah, do, any, you're I didn't do anything. Oh, oops. Oh, sorry about that. You're good. Yeah, I was using this mixing up the software and the hardware mute. Yeah, I've been traveling, so I've been doing a lot of tech stuff. But I did get my Steam Deck finally, so I traveled. Oh with no this, way! And that oh, was that's fun. awesome. Yeah. Um, and then I dropped a link there. I don't know if I could drop links in chat, but I gave a talk. You can, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, and then I gave a talk at the Linux Application Summit, which is like where GNOME and KDE people go, and they were all in Rome, so I had to stay up at 2 in the morning to give my talk with Robert McQueen. That was fun. Well, when you um, had, What was the talk about? It was, was about Flatpaks, the same thing we're talking now, so I'm hoping to reuse all the same. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll, get, you'll get to. But first, you're the first person we've had on the show that had a Steam Deck in hand, so yeah. expect some questions right now. Um, yeah, here we go. It's running what exactly? It's running Arch, right? Oh, it's running yeah. Arch. Yeah, yeah, it's an it's an Arch derivative. BTW. And then if you if you hit the Steam button, you can reboot it. You don't reboot it. It changes the session uh, to a KDE session. Okay, okay. Which it's literally just like KDE. So, um, um, have, have so you? So it has the settings and. Have you run oh, any is... desktop applications on it? Just randomly started installing things to try yep, it out. Yep. Yeah, so I installed Edge because uh, I played Destiny 2 and I wanted to see how Stadia worked and I wasn't able to get it to work in Chrome, so I did it in Edge um, to get that to work. And then I've installed Firefox and it comes with like this um, a few standard apps. It comes with Gwen View. Sorry, I'm just going <laughs> to read stuff off to you here. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. Gwen Cute View. Assistant, cute designer. Uh I installed Plex on it, the flat pack, and it it was okay, except the uh, Plex, the UI doesn't have touch, and you're like, oh, so close. Yeah, uh, I, I really wanted to get that to work, and I. Is it using X? Because I've heard that 
uh, when you are in the Steam UI for the, the proper UI, it's using Wayland, but when you switch to KDE, it's using X11. Is it right? Like, yeah, when you saw the mode set, that was it switching to the X session. And so, then, but um, can you get Plasma Wayland to work on it? You know what? I, I have not tried that. I assume it's hard because uh, because it's a lockdown. It's an immutable system. It, it would get overwritten when you update. Yeah, I guess that would depend where you put the setting, though, right? Like, if you put the setting... If the setting's in a readable spot. And we well, will do a full discussion on that next Yeah, episode. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah are, are you coming back for another... We will interview you on that Steam Deck. Yeah, you know what? Because um, I'll get a dongle so I can actually plug it in, and you can just show... Oh, yeah, yeah. That'll be cool. Yeah, I could just you that could just so actually tight. see the yeah. desktop and stuff. Yeah, and the uh, the keyboard shortcut or the on-screen keyboard and stuff works in KDE now. H- so have you like hooked pretty... up an external keyboard uh, monitor? Yep, yep. I uh, I was installing Steam games and they're like really big, so I did an Ethernet dongle. I've done Bluetooth, uh, multiple Bluetooth headsets. I've done a mouse. Let's see. What else did I do? Oh, the coolest thing you could do is I switched to the desktop mode. I installed Spotify and then I played like music and then I switched to the game and just played and I had like my Spotify in the background and I could switch to Spotify. That's what I was just getting ready to ask. That is tight. Yeah. Yeah, Have you had any issues with um, game compatibility? Um, The only game I'm really missing is Destiny. Um, Obviously, you know, they've said that's an anti-cheat thing that's complicated. Um, all the games. So when you install it, when you log in by default, it will show you your library and which ones are already like verified. Uh, so I already had like a few, you know, a few hundred of my games and I've, I've been gaming on Linux for a long time. So I knew exactly which games were going to work and which ones weren't going to work. Um, so yeah, the, the coolest thing they did add, however, is a new 40 Hertz mode in the beta, which locks the screen and the FPS at 40. So it's smoother than 30. But you're not churning through the battery like you were at 60. Like I was on the plane and like it would have lasted maybe two hours on the plane if I was doing 60 frames a second playing. I'm playing NBA 2K basketball. Uh, so then mid flight, because I'm an idiot, I just like flashed it to the beta uh, thing and it applied. That was stupid. Um, <laughs> and then that 40 is like a really nice if you get one. That's that's I think that's going to be the way to go because then the fan isn't so chonky either. Which model did uh, you get? Uh, I got the two fifty six, which a friend of mine got, and then he wanted his money for a wedding, so I bought it from him. My five twelve isn't here, and then I'll, I'm going to resell this to a friend. So I've got the whole thing going on. That's yeah, what, it's it's no. it's great. It's big. You'll, Dude, you'll have look. to do um, a comparison when the time comes, but between the 256 and the 512, because if I remember right, the 512 is supposed to have a better screen. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it has the anti-clear screen. This one doesn't. But I did get, I got the D-brand protector, which is really nice because you can't tell. Oh, uh, yeah. You can't tell it's even on. That's the only one to get. Don't even, don't even bother with the other ones. That's, that's what I recommend. But yeah, that's awesome. It's pretty cool. That that's all I've been doing. It's playing on this thing. Cool. All so what right, did you I talk think... about at the Linux application summit then? Uh, flat packs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Don't want to get them too far into that. Because yeah. Let's. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll save that. We'll save that for the the non. For the okay. That's the Go main ahead, course. Are we still in the appetizers? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> well, um, I I have had some bad luck with uh doing things and, and not a lot of time because I'm still campaigning, but uh, I tried to do a USB-C replacement um, on a uh, 
really nice battery bank. Um, I, I, I used the air gun and heated it up, uh, but that still wasn't doing the job. So I switched to my soldering iron and was just trying to get the, the posts loose. Uh, but my timing was a little bit off while I was moving it around, trying to get all the solder off. So I ended up uh, putting too much upward pressure at the wrong time and yanked out all the traces. Um, and, and then... I, I couldn't find the traces again. I tried scraping away to see if I could find those traces and could not find all of them to replace them. Um, so that battery bank is going to the landfill, except for the 18650s that are in it, um, which I did pull out, and they're going to go into some DIY battery banks because I got a whole bunch of parts for that, and, and you know I can 3D print the cases for it. Um, Matter of fact, I just did one right before the show. It is currently charging right now. I took one of those 18650 batteries and soldered it on, and I already had one of the, the cases already printed from the last time I went through this and got it all put together, and yeah, hopefully it works. Um, also took apart another battery bank that was another fairly decent one. It was with PD as well. Uh, that had some water damage, but I could not track down the part that needed to be replaced. So it also got the batteries pulled and will get the DIY treatment. I'm still a newbie at tracking down problems like that on boards, trying to find the chips that are fried and fixing it. But all I can do is keep trying until I get better at it. I mean, it sucks. And it ends up costing a bit of money trying to, you know, get projects together to do, but... All I can do is get better. Um, as they say, experience is directly proportional to ruined equipment. Yep. Yep. Uh, I also purchased a cheap uh, $5 Bluetooth headset from Five and Below. So I, I could do a mod and score a win. Um, I did a full cable replacement on both sides with some MMCX cables. And it works great. And it's a decent backup since my other backup um, my, my shore, um, neck, it's not quite a neck band. It, it's a soft band that'll do both sides that had MMCX already built in. Um, <clears throat> well, it had, the battery kind of died in it and it, it's not so much impossible to take apart as it is impossible to put back together after you take it apart. Um, I assume it's the battery, which I might be able to resuscitate and update on that. I, um, I was able to get it going again, but I don't know how long it's going to last. Cause once you start having battery problems like that, it's usually pretty downhill. Um, and part of the reason that I'm trying out different cheap headsets in this way is to find a long-term replacement for the neckband style headsets. Um, <clears throat> Since they seem to be going away in favor of the true wireless, which are almost impossible to work on in any real capacity. Um, and I have about a week left on the campaign trail. We're in the middle of early voting right now. And that it's been fun. I will say that I'm, I'm really enthused by the level of support that I'm getting from people. And with everyone, you know, telling me, hey. I voted for you and um, I got a bit of a sunburn yesterday. I don't know if you can see it on my face, but uh, 
You're but, saying you can find Texans who will vote for sane people? Uh, it's crazy. I know, right? Um, but I was outside basically all day yesterday at the polling place, um, and there was also a book fair there, and that that was actually really kind of fun getting to go see the book fair and, and talk to people as they were going in to vote. And now... Um, I don't usually talk about the books that I'm reading anymore, but I wanted to mention what I'm currently listening to is a book called um, Reality Plus, and it's actually a philosophy book, um, which discusses virtual reality and whether or not we're living in a simulation and how to prove or disprove it. Um, little hint, you can't really prove or disprove it. And I find it very interesting, and I'm only a couple of chapters into it. It, it. I had to slow the speed down. Normally, I listen at about 3.5 to 4, but I think I had to drop it down to like 2 just so I could process what the person was saying and, and try and get the ideas down before it moved on to the next idea. So I do recommend Reality Plus. Give it a try. It's a good book. Norbert, what have you been up to? Well, I finally started researching for a video series I want to do titled The Tree of Life, because this is something sort of relevant to my thesis topic. And if I'm going to do research for that, I might as well just get some other stuff in it that I, I can read uh, so I can make my comeback on YouTube, which I haven't really been actively doing for maybe one or maybe two years. And uh, so basically, this is going to be an educational video series that I plan to produce in both Hungarian and English. So if this becomes a thing, that means I can finally launch my English channel and have something else in the announcements other than my email address where people can find me. Uh, so I'm a biology student, so I mostly would be doing biology-related uh, uh, educational videos. And the Tree of Life series is basically uh, for... Uh, exploring and disproving how people have this concept in their heads that the tree of life consists of uh, bacteria and then there are animals, plants and fungi and that's basically it. And there are also some other unicellular organisms. So basically what scientists are trying to do is reconstruct how evolutionary lineages diverge from each other. The currently how they think it looks like has is it looks basically nothing like we had maybe like 50 to 60 years ago. They have the technology, scientists have the technology that when they have a take a species, they sequence all the DNA in the cell of the species, basically the entire genome, which is everything, all the blueprint to everything in the organism. And then they can compare species on the level of their entire, all of their genes. And uh, this is not directly relevant, but uh, recently I've seen a video uh, by Brody Robertson, who was uh, talking about how in programming, the number of lines of code doesn't necessarily have implications to the quality of the software. Because he said that if uh, if you have uh, lot, lots of lines of code, that doesn't really mean that your compiled software will be slow, any slower than if something has, if another software has fewer lines of code. So lines of code doesn't really mean it's well optimized if it has a fewer lines of fewer lines of code, and I was thinking and I realized it's basically the same thing with evolution and DNA, because the DNA in your cells is basically like maintained code, but 
if someone is maintaining code and he or and they put new code in it and maybe there are some leftover code that's no longer useful, they can just be lazy and not not take it out. If it doesn't really affect performance, they, then they may choose not to clean the code or optimize stuff if it doesn't really affect the performance of the app. And I realized that this is a good uh, parallel for for DNA because evolution is just a series of random processes. And if there's a mutation, if it's beneficial, then it's going to be more prevalent in the population. If it's not beneficial, if it's harmful, it's going to disappear really quickly. But there are a lot of mutations that are just neutral. So DNA just randomly changes based on errors when the DNA gets copied. And we have a lot of DNA in our cells that's basically not really doing anything useful. Or maybe not a lot, but there's certainly some some DNA there. But the DNA can still be used by scientists for comparing species and trying to uh, figure out how evolutionary relationships work. So this is very interesting. This is some this is uh, relevant to my uh, research work for my thesis. Specifically, I will be working with a team who was trying to reconstruct the tree of life of fungi. But uh, I basically I want to make a video series exploring the entire tree of life. So starting with bacteria and then go to more advanced organisms, which uh, should be interesting. On the Linux side of things, I started seriously getting into Linux maybe 1.5 years ago. And it seems like that now at this point, I'm sort of out of my initial hyper enthusiastic stage because when I got started, I got into Linux, it was this great new thing which of course it is great and it was new. And uh, lately I realized that how much of the content that I listen to and watch I consume is Linux related. Uh, and then I realized that uh, I should probably cut back on the Linux related content that I consume so I can have space for other content because yeah, at this point Linux is now a daily part of my life and it's, I still consider to be uh, tinkering with Linux as a hobby, but it's, uh, a sort of calm down. It's it's like when you meet a one of your idols, maybe a, a rock star for the first time. If you have if you have happen to have the chance to talk to them for an extended period of time, you're very enthusiastic, and then you calm down and you can talk to them normally. So I guess that's how I'm with Linux. I haven't had enough of Linux in any in any way. I just managed to. I'm just trying to find a balance in my life. Uh, I just see that Moss or someone wrote shame, shame next to my note that says I haven't used to hobby in almost three months, which is also part of me like finding. Why would you think that's me? I don't imagine. It's... I mean, I. Because I, I, he's into that mad witchcraft of distro hopping. I think I had a dozen or so Linux related podcasts in my in my podcast app, and I was listening to maybe half of those, but I decided, okay, I should. Because I there are a lot other podcasts that I want to get back li- listening to. Basically, all of my podcasts have been tech or Linux related that I've been listening to for months. So I think I narrowed it down. I'm cutting back and I'm sticking with three Linux podcasts that I'm going to listen to. One of them is Linux User Space, which is on hiatus. So it's still my favorite Linux podcast, but I will be waiting for them for come to come back. And uh, a couple of others. But I just wanted to shout out Linux User Space because it's I think it's great. And also an update on me drinking yerba mate, which I've been drinking almost daily for about a month now. And I do have to say that it really works. 
even too well sometimes because uh, if you just use the same amount of mate that you would use tea or coffee that it's it has more caffeine than than tea but not as much as coffee but if you fill up with dry leaves you fill your cup with dry leaves maybe halfway through then you start uh, pouring water and then re pouring water again when you when the water's gone and you just drink it uh, it can have you running for hours half a day maybe even a day so i would just have one cup of mate that i that i keep refilling it with water each day and right now it's empty because it's almost 10 p.m here but uh i do have to say that it is very efficient and i think it it, it even gave me a boost because i haven't been drinking coffee for years but i've been drinking tea and since this is more energizing than well not energizing but it makes you focus better so in that sense it i seem to be well the taste is there is a different question but uh, the effects i really do like its effects the taste is interesting i still drink green tea because i like green tea i could get i'm i'm getting used to it the first one or two uh, cups when the leaves are still fresh have tend to have a stronger t- uh, taste and i i think i like it when it's really strong when it's weaker i don't like it as much but when it gets even weaker i just keep refilling it and i don't really end up drinking water on days when I drink mate because the leaves get weaker the infusion gets weaker but I still get the uh, liquid intake drink mate because it's good so Moss other than uh, vandalizing my show notes what have you been up to oh I always vandalize show notes that's my best thing I am the editor anyhow um, as most of you know I tend to work mostly with distros that I could foist off on a new user and feel comfortable that they could keep using it. And I have been very surprised that Arco Linux has worked so well for me. And then I noticed uh, that the last couple of weeks, Arco stopped updating. When I found out why, I realized I had broken Arch just by updating normally. It's an so Arch it's moment, yes. My system. Yeah, uh, basically... It has an updater built in using PAMAC. And apparently, if you use PAMAC uh, as your updater, eventually it breaks Arch because you're supposed to be using Pac-Man to do all that. Yeah, I but think why the, do they put it in there if it if it's going to break your system? I think the Arch team themselves say, or the Arch figure says that it is not recommended to use PAMAC. I think it works, well, on, I think it works it, on Manjaro because it's not Arch. They need to take it out Arch. then. They need to take it out then. Anyhow, I now have Lubuntu on my T560. I've got Ubuntu Mate and Ubuntu Unity on my T540P. Ubuntu 22.04 dropped Grub Customizer from the repo. Apparently, one of the libraries got orphaned, and they decided to drop it rather than come up with something else as good or better. That, for me, was a major step backwards. On the T540P, Lubuntu created a 32-bit EFI, so I'm screwed on getting nice grub screens or boot orders without digging into the grub configuration file. On the other hand, I didn't have a grub issue with the T560. Any of my issues, any of my distros are free to claim grub, and I can still hear Norbert's mic open. Sorry. Bill and I had to work on my Pi 3B Pi hole yesterday. We got it working again. This is it, complete with Pi Maroni case. It's kind of cool, but uh, I had it shoved back behind things so that we, I couldn't have done that, but we had to pull it out to work on it. To get the power Anyhow, thing squared away on that? 
it seems to be I have to I have to leave it plugged into my toaster and I have to leave the toaster on. But other than that, it's fine. You know, reading mm. through the show notes, it sounds like we need to do another pie episode. <laughs> we need to do a little boning up on our pies. Well, no. Moss is discussing pie. Bones. Bill's discussing pie. I want to discuss um, <laughs> you know host on a pie. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's Moss. The website is cruising right along with our second year of Distro Madness. Although we haven't had as much publicity as last year, we have a better algorithm for the Distro Madness, but fewer voters. Um, most of our advertising was done by regular releases of Mintcast. Uh, and we could say, okay, well, uh, Friday after this show comes out, uh, we're closing the voting, and we can't do that right now. Overall activity on the site has been down. For my part, I haven't had as many epiphanies to post. Dale has been working harder, doing his truck driving. Uh, I, I'm sure uh, Dylan has a lot more work to do. He's a university professor up in Ontario. And uh, the three of us really can't keep going all the time on that website. But uh, we, we maybe need some more people posting things. I got out new episodes of Full Circle Weekly News, as I've done every week. The most recent was my 55th episode, so I've been doing it for more than a year now since Leo turned it over to me. Dale, Josh, Hawk, Tony Hughes, and I will be recording Distro Hopper's Digest on Tuesday. We're now starting our fourth year. Full Circle Magazine's 15th anniversary issue number 180 is out. Go on over to fullcirclemagazine.org and have a look. They are also just about to unveil a new website written by J.R. Mani, and you can check out the beta site. It's beta.fullcirclemagazine.org. And that's about all the promotions I've got to do here, so uh, we'll cut off talking about our sponsors and get on to Bill. Well, first off, well done on that fourth year. Gee whiz, that's no small feat. <laughs> People, I mean, it people, surprised me. I keep feeling like I'm burned out and ready to quit, and people going, "No, you can't quit. You're the show." And I'm going, "Huh?" <laughs> I, I think you know it can't be overstated the amount of effort that goes into making these shows, even the small ones. You know, there you have to, you have to be dedicated, you know, time wise to these things. You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna do it and you're gonna stick with it, you know, you've got to actually be a reliable participant. You know. And well, the, even with Full Circle Network News, uh, Weekly News, see, I can't even say my own show name, hmm. Full Circle Weekly News, uh, it takes me probably three, three and a half hours to yeah. pr turn out a 10-minute podcast. Yeah, and it's... I have to get the script in from South Africa, I have to edit it uh, for content, and then I have to chop it down to what I can squeeze into 10 minutes. Take all the use out of flavor... And then I record it and have to chop everything out because it didn't quite fit 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to bore everybody this week with my trucking talk. Um, if you want to hear about that, go watch my other podcast. Um, but uh, this week, it's been, uh, for my part, I've been doing some learning on how to well for anybody that doesn't know one of the challenges that we're going through right now is basically our infrastructure for this show needs to be basically rebuilt from the bottom up because for one reason or another a lot of the services that we've been relying on for a lot of time are either coming to an end or or doing some kind of change and it's all happening roughly the same time uh 
we had our website hosted on a service based out of out of a, B, a VPS based out of uh, England for some time, and I'm not 100% sure. Maybe somebody could chime in on this. We had some kind of deal going where we weren't paying for it, and then that was coming to an end, and the guy whose information was linked to all that was getting ready to get charged. Yep. And it was basically... If anybody knows anything about VPSs, it was basically the the type of VPS that DigitalOcean or Linode is charging like five dollars for. This this service was charging like thirteen pounds a month. You know, it was just a basic one core, one gig of RAM, twenty gig of of storage, and so we had. Uh, uh, well, we're still in the middle of figuring all that out. The initial uh, solution we were going with was to move it to the same service. Another service that is actually hosting our domain name, the mintcast.org domain name, while they they also offer web hosting, well, we went through the motions of migrating. They've they've got some sort of simple migrating um, path. And we well, gave, they said it was simple. It yeah, they said it was simple. simple. Well, we I don't know what we did wrong, um, but I I, enter, I entered all the information, or at least I thought I entered the information, and a couple of other guys were on a live feed with me. I think I think we actually streamed a lot of that last week, where we set up the information it asked for to switch it over, and uh, they said it would take about forty eight hours, and as of right now, that still hasn't happened. Now we've got a little bit of time left on our bite mark server uh, before we have to actually shut that down and, and have a solution in place. So what I've been doing is learning, believe it or not, as infinitely intelligent as I am, I didn't know how to do a website. So I thought, well, you know, the best way to deal with this is just not to have to rely on anybody and self host this stuff that way we're literally because for anybody who doesn't know we're we're sort of a zero income podcast you know we don't we don't want to ask for money really and we don't there's no ad revenue coming in or anything like that so the the most advantageous thing for us to do is to come up with a solution that does not add things to our grocery list that we have to pay for so I've got gear down here in this basement to host this stuff on. And if a one gigabyte RAM VPS can handle our website, I think a Pi 4 can do it. So I've been learning how to set up a LAMP stack on Raspberry Pi OS and then uh, downloading WordPress onto there and explode it out and making a website. And then I thought, okay, that's cool, but I've also got I've also got an XCloud server running right here to uh as a basically a drop in replacement for our Google Drive that we've been relying on. And I need to be able to well, people need to be able to resolve to all these things from the internet. So how do I do that? Well the answer is to set up a uh Reverse proxy. Okay, what's a reverse proxy? Well, basically, it's just using a web server to resolve incoming traffic to that that is 
coming into your LAN on one IP address and then sending it to the necessary internal IP address. So in essence, you can run several different kinds of servers on one network connected to that reverse proxy, which is running Nginx, by the way. And uh, then we can run, I can run my website for my other show. I can run the website for Mintcast. I can run our next cloud server. And uh, apparently there's a mumble server that needs set up too. That's that's another thing that needs to get set up. Well, we we aren't using the mumble server and the only people that were was uh, my other podcast, Distro Hoppers, and we have other things we can do. Okay. We don't have to set up a mumble server just for yeah, us. Yeah, I'm, not sh- I, I'm I sure d- I could talk to Dan, and if anybody really needed to, we could set up a room on the, the Tilt's mumble server or even um, what talk to the HPR guys and see if we could set up something there again. Yeah, when we started, we were using the HPR mumble server. So I can't imagine a mumble server is real resource intensive. No. So I mean even Yeah, I, I've got Pi sitting all over the place down here. So it's really as long as I can route traffic to it, I've got the I've got the bandwidth and I've got the gear to do it and and it's actually a really excellent learning experience. I mean it's it's a little frustrating I'm, at first until you put together the concepts and then and then, I'm actually trying to talk the guys into using that system that you showed us yesterday. Oh, uh, yeah, VDO Ninja. Yeah, more on that. Another thing, um, Joe, you're not up on this yet. We were talking yesterday about switching our the way we do the video over to this uh, thing called VDO Ninja. So basically what it would do is give us the capability of having a sort of a layout of videos like this. But instead of it being a evil proprietary uh, gamers chat platform that we're shooing, shoehorning into a Linux podcast, it would be an open source thing. And this runs in a browser. You just go taking, to VDO. Taking the place of OBS? No, it pipes directly to OBS. Okay. Taking the place of Discord. Taking the place of it, Discord, okay. And it, it's the beauty of it is that it's all the work is done server side. So it's very low in terms of resources, and this would have been ideal. Now, I mean, you know, George is a little bit more technically inclined, but if we had a guest that was perhaps um, might not have all this stuff installed on their system, all they would need is a browser, and that so browser similar to like a, a Jitsi room where you just except Jitsi software. It's Jitsi software, even. Oh, this okay. this okay. is literally ran completely from the browser. It's 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 beautiful. I, I in fact I I came across it by emailing into Destination Linux because I was I was frustrated with Discord the way. See the thing about Discord is the person who is it's it's a little hard to a little hard to describe, but the person who is doing the streaming in this case me. Um, I'm doing a window capture of this video feed for all of us, and I'm piping that off to OBS to go up to Jitsi, or uh, Jitsi, uh, YouTube. So what you're getting is actually a mirror image of me talking. So if I put something up, if I put something up that's got writing on it, 
What are you seeing? I see it correct. You see it correct, but people on the YouTube stream will see a a mirrored uh, you, picture. You can fix that in OBS. Well, what I would have to do, uh, you could flip the whole thing around, but then you guys would be backwards. You see what I'm saying? Or I could, I mean, the other option would be to overlay another camera feed, like shut the camera feed off for for discord and then put us put a camera feed on obs and put that but that's a lot of futzing around we can do without what what bill is trying to say here joe is that uh video ninja doesn't require that kind of work and it's even easier to plug in to uh, obs my god i got moss on my side dude well i'm i'm willing to give it a shot it's it's fantastic. So I, I come across it by, I was a little I was a little irritated with Discord and I was a little irritated with Jitsi because I wanted to use Jitsi's feature where it would pipe directly off to uh, YouTube, which is fine, and it's open source software. It's fine, but if you use their server, you get a one hour time limit on the show. And it just cuts you off when that hour is up, you know, and if you're not paying attention, it'll just cut you off. And that's just that's just the long and short of it. Um, now, you could do the same thing with Jitsi where you're doing a, a window capture and then send that off to OBS. And, yeah, that's fine. But I wrote into Destination Linux and I asked, what are you guys using to make your show? Because the thing I noticed about their show was it was just their video it's just clean. It's just uh, good quality every every single time. They didn't answer my email, but the very next show they recorded, they went through, started talking about all the software they were using to make the show. So I kind of I felt like maybe they were <laughs> that was their way of answering me, you know. And they started talking about Video Ninja, and I thought, well, this is, crying out loud, this is no software involved. You literally just open the website. And then you can either just go into a room or you can set up the room in a director's role. So whoever would be do, doing the OBS streaming, open up the director's page and then everybody else go to the same page. And then uh, from the director page, you're given a link to pipe off to OBS Studio. So you would go into OBS Studio and create the scene and then add to that scene a browser option and then in that browser option you would post or you would uh, paste in the url for that uh, room and so then you've got uh, and you've got full whatever your uh, whatever the capabilities of your camera are you've got full uh, access to that that's another thing about discord you're getting a bit of a gimped uh video feed from everybody on this and i think that's i think discord does that on purpose to try to get you to buy in a little bit or whatever but here's the beauty folks video ninja is 100 percent open source on on the uh, server side and on the client side so you're if you wanted to use this with firefox you've literally got uh, you've literally got open source from start to finish and i even i think it's even using open source codecs to do the processing and it is i've asked the developer he's got a uh discord channel of his own and i've asked him if it was self-hostable and he said it it was but i haven't been able to see any i haven't seen any tutorials on how to do that yet but well we just did it for about a half hour yesterday uh 
Bill, me, and Norbert, and Norbert didn't have his camera on his uh, laptop, so we just had a black space for Norbert, but that was okay. Another thing, the the person that's got the uh, that's got the director's screen open. If there's any problems with anybody's feed, uh, the problem with the microphone, problem with the uh, camera or anything, the person with the director screen can actually fix these problems for the other person. And then the, the other person, all they have to do is click a thing, you know, agreeing, yeah, I'll go ahead and make these changes. And so that again, open source. So, you know, that's that's a lot of the reason that I'm into it. Anyway, moving on from that... Um, so I've been learning how to uh, set up the web server. I've got a web server actually running. I mean, this is all just internal on my LAN right now, but I got a web server on my Pi Four, just with a uh, with a WordPress site on it, where I've been playing around with different things, different plugins. I've never done it before. I th I just thought it was so cool. All the stuff you can do with that for absolutely nothing. Uh, in terms of price so uh, you know i've been playing with that and i'm i'm fairly certain that's how the mintcast website was made because well, there, a lot of the things that sounds like a whole show in itself just talking yeah. about that setup and and wordpress and everything else and i'm sure one, once i actually get this up and running the first the obvious next step is to take as soon as i can get a backup of the mintcast.org website um i'm going to create a clone of the website just as a test case on my land i'm going to let some people you know have access to it and see how it works for everybody and then um, of course the the ultimate solution would be to shut everything down that we're relying on other people to do and then self-host this. And then, you know, of course I'll give the keys to the kingdom to a couple other people too, in case, just in case of the old, the old bus uh, problem that might happen. Yeah. We've been kind of freaking out Bill and I on this because uh, Josh is uh, going to have to pay for it. If we don't do something within the next two or three weeks. Well, I've, I've switched it over to my, bank account to pay for it okay but i mean it's yeah and and something in two or three weeks i mean i would rather not but i have a feeling i might have to pay for a couple Especially months what bite mark is charging yeah like i, I said I, I would just run a support ticket through namecheap and and uh say we set this up and you didn't get it done and why <laughs> i can't imagine what we did wrong we gave them all of the right but you know whatever it's well, that's what support tickets are for. Yeah. But, uh, you know, okay. it, it kind of shined light on the idea that we just need to do this ourselves so that we're not... Because, we're. I mean, it, it, name cheap might be cheaper, but it's still a dollar amount that we have to pay yeah. for something that we ought to be doing ourselves. And it would give us content for the show, you know, to have this stuff to talk about. Uh, I think that's enough out of me. Yeah, we've made Jorge sit through an hour and 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at 
www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of the